What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Write Who You Know. This is the podcast that's all about screenwriting, the behind the scenes of the behind the scenes. I'm Matt Hausfetter. It's Sunday in sunny California. Uh, I just did some gardening and some nursery shopping with my wife and my daughter, Mia. Uh, if When you're listening to this, uh, this will be have been recorded uh, during weekend one of Coachella, which is really exciting because I'm not there. I am uh, watching it at home on YouTube because uh, that's what you do when you're 38 years old. And uh, I'm not going to lie, uh, watching some of it, you know, particularly Gorillas, Underworld, The Chemical Brothers, a little bit of Blink-182, even though they sound like shit. Uh, they've always sound like shit. That's been their thing. Like, you know, it's like, oh, it's an outdoor stage. No, they've sounded like like doo-doo forever, but they're great on, on record. Anywho, uh, yeah, Underworld, Chemical Bros, Blink-182. I would have loved to see those those acts. Uh, Pusha T. Uh, but... Uh, I was here. I was uh, babysitting, hanging out with my daughter because my wife had to work the event. And when I say work the event, it makes her sound like a woman of the night. Uh, but actually, she was just uh, doing some event production as she is wont to do. Um, but yeah, I, I, I felt old uh, for the first time. Kind of like, oh, dang. Just because, like, all the, all, you know, for the most part, the headliners of Coachella suck. I mean, like, no offense to Bad Bunny. I get it. He's an international, uh, you know, pop star. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he's wonderful. I'm just not really into uh, the reggaeton slash, uh, I don't even know what you would, I think just reggaeton. I'm not into the reggaeton uh, of it all. Uh, and shouts to Daddy Yankee. I respect it, but I'm not into it. So, yeah, I feel like I've been aged out of Coachella. It's just so, all the music is like, who, what, huh, what? And so that makes me feel old. Um, but, yeah, like I said, it's Sunday. Uh, tonight, Frank Ocean is headlining. Uh, but more importantly, Succession Week 4. Uh, I'm not going to do any spoilers, uh, so I'll keep, it, I'll keep it kosher. But, wow, Episode 3, what an episode. Wonder what's going to happen tonight on episode four of Succession. And by the way, uh, this episode is not sponsored by HBO Max, even though uh, that ringing endorsement does make it feel that way. Uh, on this episode, let's get let's get into the podcast. Uh, on this episode, we have an awesome guest, a dear friend of mine, but also a great writer, Sophie Selig. Uh, I met Sophie when I was writing my. Uh, untitled uh, Barney's department store comedy starring the one and only Brent Morin for Warner Brothers and NBC with Bill Lawrence and Doozer producing. Uh, she was working at Doozer at the time as Bill's assistant, and she was wonderful and funny and smart, and we were always there together because I was writing a lot of the pilot in those offices. And then uh, hysterically, magically, I don't know if you want to call it fate, I was on vacation in Cabo with my wife, uh, and on like the first day, we were walking down to the Shays lounges, and we saw Sophie, and she was like Matt Housefeder. And to be honest, in my head, I was like, please don't, please don't be a girl I've hooked up with. Like that would be so awkward. Kelsey's gonna be like, how do you know her? And I'm gonna like have to make up a lie, and she's gonna know it's a lie, and that's not the tone you want to set uh, on a romantic Mexican vacay. 
So I was stoked that it was Sophie, but I was also a little bit relieved uh, that it wasn't an ex-girlfriend. Anywho, so we saw Sophie. We spent the next four or five days of our vacation with her. She was there with her brother. They were going through some personal stuff, not together, but, you know, as a family unit, uh, which is something I can speak to because mine is, is Looney Tunes. Shouts to my parents if you're listening. Love you. Uh we went to Christmas dinner uh, in, in Cabo. We had a couple breakfasts. Uh, it just, and sort of our friendship sort of blossomed from there. And uh, I've always championed her and rooted for her because she's really funny uh, in person. And so I'm sure she can execute on the page. And then, of course, you know, when she's had me read her stuff, she can clearly execute. Uh, and what's so great is that, uh, Seth Cohen and Amy Pocha, who I interviewed a few episodes back, they were able to give her her first writing job on head of the class, another HBO max show. This is definitely sponsored by Warner discovery. Now, uh, Zaslav, what's up? Come me a check. Anywho, Sophie went on to write on head of the class and she also now writes on shrinking, which is the Jason Siegel, Harrison Ford, uh, Jessica Williams, is that her name? I love that actress. Uh, I, I think that's her name. Let me just, I don't know. I want to like take a moment to Google it. Let me look. Uh, let's see if I can uh, get a number crunch on this. I think it is Jessica Williams. Boom, boom from Shrinking. Uh, great show. Super fun. Also a Bill Lawrence production. Uh, so she talks about it. We talk about shrinking. We talk about how she got to be in the writer's room during the creating of uh, and the breaking of story of Ted Lasso, uh, both in London and in the United States of America. Um, I can't wait for you guys to hear this. It's going to be great. Sophie is great. Uh, I look outside and the trees are sort of doing their thing. I've had just the right amount of marijuana where you can tell I have a little cotton mouth. I'm sure you could tell I have a little cotton mouth, but uh, I'm, I'm dialed in. I'm keyed in, I'm keyed up, and I'm ready to rock. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode with my dear friend and screenwriter extraordinaire, Sophie Selig. Pass. Nope. We love Matt, it's just a really hard time right now. The industry's contracting. Come back to us when you have some bigger attachments. Tell them right what you know. No, tell them right who you know. Feel free to go get some hand cream. No, I'm not going to stop down the cast to get some hand cream. Let's, okay, I'm going to start this from the top. Sophie Selig, this is so exciting to have you here. This probably won't be where we actually come in on the episode because I sound like an SNL announcer, but hi. What's up? I'm so happy that you came over tonight. Thank you so much for inviting me. I was just fed a wonderful dinner by Chef Kelsey, a glorious. We, your daughter and I, made eye contact the entire meal. She, yeah, she honestly like kept like shoveling food in her mouth while watching. It was hysterical. Uh, it's an honor. Uh, it's an honor just to be nominated. Uh, speaking of which, uh, you told me today you're applying to be in the Emmys. That's that sounds completely inaccurate. Okay, <laughs> I received an email today <laughs> that said, "Do you want to apply for M like Academy membership?" Ah, uh, so instead of winning like a radio contest to yeah. go to the Emmys, which is what I made it sound Absolutely like. Absolutely not. No, they said you might be eligible. You can apply for membership, and so we'll see. I hope I hope to have the voting right. I think you will. We'll see. Um, 
I met a USC student last night who has an Emmy too. She won for like a student short she made, and I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my God, like, why am I talking to, you, to your class? Like, you have a fucking Emmy. You speak to the class. That's not fair. No, it was crazy. Um, here's what I want to ask. I'll start, let's start back in the day. When did you know you were going to be a writer, Sophie? Or did you just, was there like, did you love movies or like what brings you here in your mind? I feel like my answer is a little unfair because I didn't know that I fully wanted to be a writer until I was in the Ted Lasso writer's room, which is an amazing vantage point to be at to make that discovery. Um, I liked writing. My college like Common App essay was the one that the counselor saved and was like, I'm going to use this as an example for future kids. And I went to a really competitive high school and I was like, me really where did you go to high school I went to Horace Mann oh in New York New York what, what? and that to me I was like surely you must be mistaken because I was sort of at the bottom half of my class and but I, I liked writing and I ended up just happenstance as like a writing major in college it was writing seminars because we didn't have like a screenwriting concentration which was like, it was like a combination of like analytical and creative and I fell into the poetry lane. Did you write poetry? I mean, you must have. I did. Is it good? No. I didn't think so, but I didn't want to ask, like, is it bad? (laughs) But I will say it's the thing I think that's helped me more than anything with my screenwriting because it really teaches you sort of like economy of language. You have to be so specific with each and every word that you pick and in a script, you know, you, you want to be a little bit more precious. And I think that is what makes the scripts a little tighter and a little better. And I'm, I'm better for having written a bunch of really shitty poetry in college. Where did you go to college? Johns Hopkins. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so when did you decide I'm moving to Los Angeles? I had a film professor in college who I said, you know, I I maybe want to write, you know, it's a thing I'm thinking about. I'm going to do it in New York. And he was like, you will never make it in New York. And I'm like, I'll show you. And sure enough, two months later, I was like, that fucker was right. And I moved to New York September after graduating. You moved to LA. Sorry, LA, yeah. Um, Because I knew, is everything okay with the levels? Yeah, I just, I look over here from time to time. Don't even worry about it. Okay. Um, Yeah, so I moved to LA after graduating and I had one, I wasn't sure again about, the move and I had one friend who lived in LA and I said are you looking do you do you know anybody that might need a roommate and she was like I do and that was sort of the kismet thing that got me out here uh jobless okay so you come to LA you're jobless what's what do we do first what do we do we try to apply to every job that's not a talent agency because I said I don't want to work at a talent agency I value my quality of life I won't do it smart Uh, I met with a manager who was like I think working at a talent agency is your best bet um and i said no you're wrong and much like my film professor two months later i came back with my tail between my legs saying i think i need a job at a talent agency um and also it was i didn't have any friends and so that's a great way to meet new people that are transplants that have similar interests to you how did you go about applying to the agencies and which agencies did you apply to um just the one i got connected with through this manager with another hopkins alumni Uh, an agent named Laura Gordon, who is incredible at what she does. We had a brief little informational phone call and she was like, I'll send your resume down to HR. And it wasn't really even a question. And that's cool. It happened very quickly and serendipitously. And so did you have an interview with HR? I did. Yeah. 
tell me about your interview there. Did were you nervous? Did you were you wearing like pantsuit nation? Like what's like it's your like first like welcome. I'm Hollywood. I'm here. Like what? Tell me. Take me through the day. My, the morning. My the roommate that I moved in with worked in HR, and so I just borrowed all of her clothes uh, to show up and they were like, what do you want to do? And I, you know, I was told rightly so like, don't tell them that you don't want to be an agent. You know, they want to think that they're fostering their next gen. And so I was like, well, Laura, you know, she was my major at Hopkins and look at her now. And I was like, you know, I just want to follow in her footsteps sort of thing. And I'm open, I'm a sponge, teach me. So I, I did my best sales pitch and I got the job on the spot. No, they called you and the next day. I think I was at Chipotle. <laughs> Classic. Classic. Uh, so you get the job at ICM. Yeah. And you immediately go into the mail room or do you are on a desk? Take I us, take me in. I this. start at the mail room. Um, what year? It was fall of 2016. Okay. And um, I was a day late because my mom was doing the triathlon in Mexico and I, I couldn't miss it. Uh, and so I show up a day late and the kids are like, oh, we'll see you tomorrow at 7.30 a.m. And I'm like, haha, good joke. And they were like, no, that's serious. Uh, we start at 7.30 a.m. every day, and you just deliver mail. That's what it is. Um, and it's a great way to, like, meet all the people, all the different departments, like, sort of get a lay of the land. Um, and there were many times that they were like, oh, this desk is open if you want it, because people, you know, kind of want to do their year and get out. But I was like, I'd rather be a little bit more thoughtful and meticulous about this. I will say the piece of advice that I give to any kids that are asking me how to get started in the industry, I was like, my job was to work in the mailroom if that's all your job is, just like be really fucking good at it. If your job is delivering mail, be good at delivering the mail. It's not that hard. And that's not to say that other kids weren't, weren't working hard, but I just sort of took that extra step to like take a beat and try to memorize like what agents worked on what floor. And so the head of the mailroom was like, you know, so-and-so's letter, where does this go? And I'd be like 34 and just like showing like a smidge of attention to detail. He like took a shine to me That's good. and set me up with um, a woman that he was like, I think you'd be a really good fit for this agent, Janet Carol Norton, who's much like me, like very type A and focused. And um, he sort of made that marriage happen, even though I, I stuck around in the mailroom a little bit longer because I wanted to work for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the best thing I could have done because I, terms of value and quality of life like she's a kind woman and she's really great at what she does and it was just an amazing sort of initial life lesson and like you can be successful in business and be nice to people and I think that's was in my sort of Hollywood developmental brain like a really good thing to solidify at the time was she a tv uh feature feature agent talent she represents only television line producers super super niche um including Bill Lawrence's own Randall Winston at the time. Oh, um, so this is where this all comes into play. It, it kind of does, kind of doesn't. But the other piece of advice that I give kids asking me how to get started is work for nice people. I think if you really intentionally seek out people that are kind, um, it's really going to pay off. Um, in the way that you were saying, it is a little, you know, it's it's a nice thing to do, but it also can be a little self-serving because I know that somebody who's really kind isn't going to keep me on their desk in perpetuity just because I'm doing a good job for them. They're going to want to help sort of return the favor and and do right by me ultimately and want to see me grow. How long were you at ICM before you left to go work at Doozer? I was at ICM for like a year and a half and I got great advice from the TV coordinator who said, once you look at all our clients, like see who you're interested in working for, go up to their agent's assistant 
and see if they're hiring. And so I looked at the clients and Bill was like the only person that I was really like interested in working for. And I went to his agent's assistant. I was like, hey, is he hiring? And they were like, no. I'm like, amazing. Thank you so much. This has been super productive. And then four months later, he was hiring and they remembered that I went to them and said, send us your resume. And so that's how I ended up sitting down with Bill. So, uh, okay, you're gonna take you're gonna take us all through this because I'm sure everybody wants to hear about this. So you get a job interview. Do you meet Bill first? Do you meet anyone else at Dozer before him, or is it just like, nope, you're gonna go meet Bill? We're feeding you to the lion. I met with his assistant first, as sort of like, are you passing like the cool sniff test? And was Liza his assistant back then? When um, Liza was an executive already. By the way, we're talking about the uh, I believe the co-executive producer of Ted Lasso and the executive producer of Shrinking, Liza Katzer. Liza Katzer, yep, my style executive. icon. I'm obsessed with her. Mm-hmm. Um, no, Bill's assistant at the time, Kelsey, uh, was very lovely to me, and she was within five minutes. She was like, "Oh, you'll meet Bill," and we just like spent the rest of the interview just like sort of gabbing. Um, and I sat down with Jeff Ingold and Liza Katzer next, like several weeks later. Um, and they were running super behind on interviews. Classic Liza and Jeff. Classic. And it was, they were running maybe like two hours late. Were you sitting there like waiting for Lauren Michaels? Well, I'm super prompt and in fact early. Um, and they were like, can you entertain yourself? I'm on the Warner Brothers lot for the first time. They said to you like, hey, no offense, but like we just need two hours. Yeah, they were like, sorry, we're running late. And I think like, oh, 20 minutes, like, great. I'll find the best bathroom to like nervous poop in. Uh But it's two hours. Uh And so I sneak onto like a tour and I go into like the Warner Brothers Museum. And there's a picture of me from that day, like in my interview blazer, sitting on the friend's couch just by myself, like 11 on a Tuesday. And I was in the interview and I thought that I was sort of bombing it because Jeff was like, oh, Sophie just like wants to get on with it. And I was like, I'm having the best day of my life. Like this is Hollywood, baby. I'm happy to be here. And, um, I left crying and I I cried in my car because I was just sure that I didn't get the job. It just seemed like such a, like there was like an energy disconnect. Um, and I sobbed. And then two days later they were like, can you meet Bill tomorrow morning? And I sat down with him and I back at Warner brothers, back at Warner brothers. And I have anxiety among other things and I had my first, I don't think Bill knows this. Bill, are you going to listen to this? Bill, you're going to find out so much about Maybe. me right now. That's so exciting. I think we should call him on his cell phone and just dial him into the podcast like they do <laughs> in other shows. Maybe not. I did get so many unsolicited FaceTimes during the pandemic. He didn't communicate during the pandemic with phone calls. It was only FaceTime. And so I had to wear a bra the entire pandemic, which sucked. I wouldn't, I don't know how to comment on that because, uh, <laughs> I've never worn a brazier, uh, but I like I, I want to show solidarity imagine, for all my women friends out there. Imagine wearing jeans with a belt every day of the pandemic. Okay, you could never just relax. Okay, um, but I I have anxiety. Hello, Bill, if you're listening. Um, and I had my first anxiety attack that night, the night before I met, met Bill. with Bill. And thank God I did because I went into that interview fucking cool as a cucumber. I was so tired. I didn't have an ounce of energy to spare on seeming nervous because I was existing on no sleep and I think I tricked him into thinking I was like really chill so I had a good interview with him and did he ask any questions I mean obviously he did but like do you remember any of it or did you black out um he was looking at my resume and he noticed that I had interned like back in the day at the Tony Awards um because I I grew up loving musical theater and uh, he noticed that and Bill's also a big musical person. And so that's sort of the initial thing that we bonded over. 
was both loving musicals. Um, at the end of the interview, he was like, Soph, you buy Soph? And I was like, whatever you want. And his assistant was like, maybe for future reference. And I was like, this could be it. This is crazy. So thank you, Bill. And then when did you hear you got the job? Um, maybe later that afternoon because Bill's um, challenged sometimes with time management. And so he needed somebody to start the next week. And so who calls to tell you that you have the job? Does Bill call? Bill did not call. Bill called my boss, Janet, who, so speaking of the lovely lady that I worked for, she sent the nicest email to him on my behalf. It was, Bill Bill said, he was like, you need to buy her steaks. She sent that nice of an email. <laughs> That's great. Um, and Bill called Janet, I think, to just like double check, being like, is she cool? And Bill said to Janet that she could tell me that I got the job. And as an assistant, I'm listening on the other end of the line. And I like sort of silently screamed and Janet came out and she's like, did you hear that? I was like, I did. And she goes, we need to find your replacement. That's so great. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Good times. Uh, When I got uh, hired my first staff job on Undateable, I did not know until literally I got that email from Bill, like, welcome to the show writers. But like, I, you know, and I had like three or four different interviews, never with him, but like with Jeff and with Liza and with Adam uh, and that, that totally lines up sort of with my experience, except that you got to, uh, you got to meet him, but yeah, it was totally like, uh, is this going to happen? Like, I don't know. And it did. And I was just like the happiest two of all time. Yeah. Um, okay. So you start working for Bill Lawrence when on the timeline, uh, June of 2018. So he had just, um, they had just picked up for like 13 episodes or whatever, whiskey cavalier on ABC. Mm-hmm. And his assistant, Kelsey, was going to be the writer's assistant on that show. Right. That's my other hot tip for kids out there. When you're interviewing, a really important question to ask people is, where's your assistant going? Like, what are they going on to do? Because that really tells you, like, is this a boss that sort of, like, nurtures talent? Or are they someone that, like, stifles them for four years because they're useful to them and then sort of discards them um, at their leisure? That's great advice. Bill... Bill was promoting her to be writer's assistant. And I was like, great, there's a trajectory here if writing is the thing that I want to do. But I wanted to be a showrunner's assistant, specifically wanted a pod because you then you're working year round, regardless of this, if the show's going or not. Also um, very smart of you. How did you, how were you so fucking astute? I, I, I asked questions when I was at ICM, but um, I, 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 it's really, I just like met one girl that was, a showrunner's assistant when I first moved to LA and I thought she had the coolest job ever. She was like ordering lunch for her boss just by rote. She like didn't even ask him. Like she knew what he wanted. And I was like, she has so much power. <laughs> Little did I know down the line, I'd be like, Bill wants anything without onions. I don't like onions either. Oh, Does you, he have acid reflux? I, I, even if I know, I wouldn't share that <laughs> to your public. <laughs> okay. i to protect my boss's privacy. <laughs> that's um, a very, you know, it's very private. I have terrible GERD. That's why I ask. I don't know <laughs> if you do. Do you have, do you suffer with tummy, IBS, GERD, Jewish stuff? An overshare. I have what the, what the GI calls clinical constipation. Oh, that's okay. I have the reverse of that where I'm never constipated. Uh, except I had matzo balls from this place, Daughter's Deli. Have you been there? No. It's delicious. The guys, the daughters from Langer's opened this Jewish deli on Sunset. They make incredible matzo ball soup, but I, no joke, like, could not poo for five days. Not that anybody cares, but, like, 
that was my only really experience with constipation. Take Miralax. Also, you just have your listeners. <laughs> you think so? Okay, we'll go back then. We'll go back to we'll go back to Bill. Okay, so you are. Uh, what's your first few weeks like working at Doozer, working for Bill, working for a boss that is constantly like in and out of meetings, got phone calls, just there's business going on there. I mean, you had been at ICM, so you sort of knew that. But um, was it any different at all? Were you intimidated? Did you feel you were in over your head? Um. I got really good at my job at ICM. I'm a detailed oriented person. And, um, I really like towards the end, I would just like thrive on being able to like connect calls with one hand. Like it was just sort of second nature at that point. And then going to the bill job, I wasn't good at it for a long time. And I really struggled with that. Um, it just, you know, you're learning a new person. It takes time. It's like, you know, you're developing a new relationship. And so, I was frustrated with myself, but it was also amazing to be on all these like really cool phone calls. And part of why I wanted to be a showrunner's assistant also was like you get a lay of the land from every angle. You see things from the beginning of the development stage through production, editing. And Bill, hi again, if you're listening, is just a savant. He's so talented and so smart. And I just have so much respect for him creatively as well as I guess just interpersonally. But um, I'm a Sika fan now, um, but he he's so good at what he does. And so it's really wild to see him do things so masterfully like that. Yeah, I know. He's also the only guy I know that is like, yeah, I don't I don't really take notes like you can give them to me and like I'll maybe consider him. But like, yeah, I don't do notes. Yeah. But he also knows that he's like earned it in respect. So absolutely. I, when I, I don't started, mean that, I don't mean that in like an arrogant way. I mean that in a way of like he has multiple shows that are in syndication and some of the most culturally uh, relevant series in the history of the medium. So, Bananas. So you know. I started working for him right when they had just sold the Ted Lasso um, pilot, basically, idea to Apple. Was it a pitch or was it like a script? Um, it was a pitch. And Got so it. they had to write a pilot script to and the, to determine if they were going to get the series pickup. And so when I started working for them, they were starting to write that pilot. Bill, Brendan Hunt, Joe Kelly, and Jason Sudeikis. And so they were in the office every day for a couple months. And um, is that when I met you? I think so. Yeah. Because I'll never forget being there like one afternoon late uh, when I was just for the viewers out there, listeners out there. I was writing this uh, NBC Barney's pilot, which is how I met you because I was in the office writing yes. it. And you were always there. And obviously you were wonderful and listened to the pitch before we sold it and yada, yada, yada. But I remember being there and it would always be like me and you and sometimes Liza and sometimes Jeff, but always me and you. So you're always there. And then one night I remember meeting Bill introduced me to the Ted Lasso guys who were there writing the pilot. So that yeah, timeline wise, that makes sense. Yeah, it was awesome to see it from Ted Lasso go from really like initial concept to just international phenomenon question mark emmy winning uh ted lasso so yeah t let's let's go there for a moment you're an assistant uh what was it like seeing ten lasso get greenlit was there anything special about that or like out of the ordinary rather like i'm sure you know how shows get greenlit but like was it an exciting thing that no one was really sure of or like was everyone pretty sure when the pilot was turned in like this is awesome like how could you say no to jason and bill and the writers and the creators yada 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 um, I think selfishly, I was just excited because I was like finally going to get to see the writer's room firsthand again, sort of having this like right inkling about writing. But I was also like, maybe I'll get to go to London. That would be cool. It was a completely self-serving level of excitement. But um, yeah, we started, you know, launching the staffing process and lots of writers were coming in, meeting people, asking, do you want water? <laughs> um, and then 
being the showrunner's assistant, you sort of really figure out like how much power you have. I mounted and dismounted our writer's office three times, like just really crazy having this like executive decision being like, I think we want some counter chairs here. I think the writers would like to eat lunch and like no one makes in London. You mean? No, we had in that's that was in writer's room number two. Got it. So writer's room number one is in L.A. All 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 three writer's rooms that I mounted and dismounted were in L.A. Got it. They kept kicking us out of places. Got it. Because of COVID? No, this was pre-COVID. They just like we took over the whiskey space and then we moved to Burbank Studios, but they were tearing down that writer's office to build more stage space. Then we moved into Doozer for a little bit. Um, Got it. It was just wild. So I guess I mounted a fourth room in London. Bill Bill came by one day. It was like maybe in like May or June, and we were supposed to go to London in August. And he was like, "I heard you want to go to London," and I was like, "I do." And he goes, "Okay, get your passport." And that was the whole conversation. <laughs> I was like, "Great, thank you." And so, were you in the writers' room because Bill was always in the writers' room, or how did you end up in the writers' room on Ted Lasso? Because I know, and again, uh, props to Bill. Some bosses, or just like I figure, Bill's, and, and I know he has Jeff Engel to help him with the producing stuff, and as well as Liza. Uh, I feel like he'd be so busy that you would not be able to be in the writer's room because you were juggling multiple balls on his behalf. Um, I was in the room because Bill was there. So if you need to contact Bill, you contact me to get to Bill. A lot of power. That's I the love power. It. I, I was, love it. I had two phones for three years, which was probably the worst part of the job. Um, but uh, yeah, and at the time, this was, again, I guess pre-Lasso's existence, so there weren't as many projects going at the time. Ted Lasso was fortunately really the focus. Then when you guys were writing Ted Lasso, did you know, did you have any fucking clue what, you know, sometimes when you work on a show, you can automatically tell like, this is going to be bad. Like everyone's trying to keep it together, but like this is unequivocally not great. On the other hand, you guys were working on a show that became incredibly great and uh one best show twice so did you have any inclination of like this is great television or just like everyone's so busy just trying to get through a day at a time that it doesn't really dawn on you and it's a surprise I think that was a little bit the attitude we were just working in a vacuum so um we weren't obviously getting the feedback but I mean I, I this sounds like a lie but I always knew it was going to be good and you know Bill sort of famously credits me only in private that I was sort of the, the one keeping the morale up. Um, when, you know, sometimes you're struggling with an episode and I'm like, I think it's funny. And whether that's the sycophant in me or not, (laughs) I, uh, I, I just, I really loved the show from the get. So was it okay if I tell people that the secret sauce in that show is actually Sophie Selig? Some people say that those people are Bill. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, were you there the night that they, I know you weren't at the Emmys, but the night that they won, that Ted Lasso won Best Show. Did you participate in that? I don't remember. I was at the Apple, uh, like, little party that they had because it was still COVID. Got it. So it was like a little celebration somewhere on Sunset. Did you get to hold the Emmy? I got to hold an Emmy. Is it really heavy? Yes. How heavy would you say that Emmy is? I don't know. Probably as heavy as the weights that you have in this gym. Shut the fuck up, Sophie. <laughs> If and when you ever win an Emmy, yeah, do you have any idea what you're gonna say? Because I remember, I remember Bill was very quick and very smart to just get the people he wanted to thank out of the way and then, uh, you know, get on with it. I thought that was a great way to do it. He's like, "These are my people." Da 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 da. 
Um, so I was like, have you ever thought about what you might say? I think we've all done the like, of course, shampoo that's why, bottle. No shit. No, I'm not going to tell you. Come, well, I you, can't jinx it. Okay, you can't jinx it. All right. Do you think you're going to win it for your sample? No. Okay. <laughs> no, Matt's just trying to make me feel bad. He invites me over to his house to do his fucking podcast, and now he's just dragging me. No, I'm not dragging you at all. I love your sample. I'm mm-hmm. not even talking about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, look at you crossing your arms. I love it. Okay. So when do you start to go, I think I'm ready to be a writer or like I'm writing stuff? Like what's the next step for you after Ted Lasso? Just try and put me in that mental place where you were. Sure. In the Ted Lasso room is, you know, you can say you want to be a TV writer all you want, but you unless you see it firsthand, like you don't know what that looks like. Like you've you know seen like fictional versions on 30 Rock or whatever, but like it's sort of this like amorphous thing. And being in that room, I was like, these fuckers joke around all day and they make money doing it. Like that's what I want to do. So I go to London and Bill has a, a nice sort of like mentor chat breakfast with me. They're doing this other show called Head of the Class with the lovely Seth, Aim- Seth Cohen and Amy Pocha. Friends of the pod. Friends of the pod. And Bill said to me, in a, in a very kind way, he was like, if you don't finish your sample by the time that Seth and Amy finished their pilot, you fucked up. And I'm like, okay, note received. And so on the weekends in London, I would go around and like walk the gorgeous city of London with I my your, your laptop in my bag. And I would just like walk until my legs got tired and then sit down at a cafe and work for however many hours on my pilot. Um, was it a multi-cam you were writing? It wasn't a multi-cam, just a, a good old single cam. Bill didn't, he didn't ask to read it anytime soon. And I didn't show it to him. I was like, oh, I push it. There's nothing, there's, we're, we're not on a deadline right now. Um, and I guess the only thing I'll say that was good about COVID is um, the head of the class pilot sort of got shelved because they couldn't produce anything early days and instead made it a mini room, which wasn't this like ubiquitous thing as it is now. And so Bill let me be the writer's assistant on that show while still being his assistant because we weren't doing all that much early COVID days. And um, it was great. I loved doing it. Although I think to all those listeners out there, I think being a showrunner's assistant is cooler than being a writer's assistant. You see more angles as a showrunner's assistant and you sort of have the ear of more powerful people. And the, you have the freedom to like leave the room. Yeah. Like I, if and, I'm not ri- being a part of this, like, yeah, this is so exciting and I'm learning, but like I needed to go in my office on revenge and write. Cause like I needed to be productive. Otherwise, why the fuck am I, you know, here? Yeah, And also as a writer's assistant, you're so busy retaining everybody else's yeah. ideas to yep. put down that you don't have the freedom to think of your own. And yeah. when we were in London for lasso, I would sometimes like get to pitch, like I got a couple jokes on TV and like, that was so cool. And I would never have been able to do that if I were like busy typing down other people's ideas. That's not to say that being a writer's assistant isn't super valuable. It totally is, but it wasn't my favorite thing to do. Um, but I was the writer's assistant for Seth and Amy and they were lovely and so supportive and always said, you know, contribute as you want. And, um, we got, like when it was finally COVID safe, got to produce the pilot and they, you know, picked up the show and they said that if the show got picked up, that they would staff me. And at that, during that time I was working on a multi-sample cause I was like, Oh my God, what if the studio wants to read something that seems relevant, which my God, it was such a piece of fucking garbage. What I wrote. Um, well, got you the job. I don't think any, I don't think they read it. I don't think they sent it to anybody. 
I think it was like Seth and Amy and Bill being like, we want to hire her. I, I think that was enough. God, I can't imagine I got hired off of that multi-camp, multi-camp sample. God bless you. I want to know where you were when you got the call that you got your first real staff writing job on Head of the Class with Seth Cohen and Amy Pocha, a Bill Lawrence production through Warner Brothers. It was sort of in the ether that I might be staffed once the show got picked up. And uh, it wasn't until maybe two days before that they finally like got the budget approved to bring me on. Um, so it was sort of a, a slow burn of information, if you will. But like, where are you when the phone rings? Like, how do you know I'm a real writer now? It's COVID. And so I'm on my couch by myself as I've been for years. And I just, I get a call from Seth and Amy saying, congrats, your lawyer should have an email. And by lawyer, I mean my lovely family friend who <laughs> got an offer on my behalf. And I saw it in writing. And did you scream? Uh, I think I was like, in such a daze slash like experiencing my depression. And so it was just like a very confusing moment. Who's the first person you called to tell? I think I called my parents who lovely supportive and were they always supportive or were they ever like Sophie's out in Los Angeles doing the Hollywood thing? I don't know if it's going to work out for her. Imagine if they sounded like that. (laughs) Um, No, my mom comes from, I guess a TV entertainment background, daytime, news such so um she gets it and has always been my biggest fan that's great yeah i'm very grateful for them um all right so you do head of the class like all great things it only lasts one season like some a lot of great things Mm -hmm. unfortunately but you learned a lot i learned a lot it was a time in my life had a great time got locked in the joke room every night great people we had four staff writers it was like high school it was amazing that's great um so then we transition mm. to shrinking. Mm-hmm. Another huge juggernaut of a show. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> that is so gangster. I love it. That's the most gangster uh, shit ever. Oops. Uh, okay, so you're writing on season two. You Did you write on season one as well? I did, Matt. Did you watch it? I'm playing fucking dumb. <laughs> for you. Yes, I know you wrote on season one, and yes, I goddamn watched it. Thank you. Tell okay. me when you got the news that you were going to work on that. Like, were you ecstatic? Um. During head of the class, Bill um, said to me, he's like, we're, you know, we're doing this shrinking show. Maybe I think you might be a good fit for it. I'm like, cool. Keep me in mind. And the show gets picked up. And then we're at the uh, Emmy party for Ted Lasso season one. And um, I'm sure Bill did it drunkenly and by accident. But he said to Jeff Engold, who's his right hand man, man, um, that Sophie's going to work on it. And I'm like, this is contractual. Like, we're nobody, we have all pinky promise. This is happening. And I, but I think, you know, letting Jeff know, the money guy, that we got to put her on the budget, I think that was the thing that sort of solidified it. And then when the show, you know, ended up getting picked up, yeah, my, my agent got another a little email in writing. Did you freak out? Yeah. This one, I feel like, I mean, kind of more of a freak out. Uh, Jason Siegel, fucking Harrison fucking Ford. Harrison wasn't involved oh. yet at this point. Oh, Jason was involved, um, which was amazing, especially to have him early days in the writer's room. What's he, it like with him in the writer's room? He's so amazing and collaborative and encouraging. Like, if you have a great idea, he's like, that's such a good idea. Like, he wants you to know that you're doing a great job. Um, and it's just, like, incredible to have that 
affirmation. Is he a goofball? Like, does he do bits in the room? Yeah, he does some bits, but he's, you know, also very, like, intellectual and um, he's really great at what he does. And so having him early days to really helps, like, help speak to Jimmy's character and help sort of steer the ship um, from the beginning was so invaluable. Um, and Harrison Ford was sort of like this like crazy dream casting that they had. And they were like, yeah, like let's send it out to Harrison Ford and see what happens. Where's Harrison Ford wrapped? I don't know. He's got, a, I'm, I'm, well, I'm asking because I want to know if he's at the same agency as Bill, if blah, 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 because now they're all CIA. And I was oh. curious if it like became like a very easy thing to do. Just like, yeah, they're both the same agency. But that's a question for another podcast. Yeah. Um, what was it like for you to work? I mean, I've seen I've seen pictures of you with Harrison Ford on set, like talking to Harrison, just like directing and being a fucking amazing on set writer. What's that like working with Harrison? Um, this is going to sound bad of me. Do you call him Harrison? Yeah. Good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Ford. Excuse me, sir. Um, we. Uh, this is going to sound bad, but I didn't grow up with Harrison Ford in the same way that a lot of other people did. And so um, when we, when we cast him, I I made, this is going to sound like a lie, made the conscious effort to not watch any of the historic films that made his career because I didn't want to be starstruck mm-hmm. seeing him on set and interacting Can with I him. Can I run through a few and you tell me if you've seen, I mean, like I'm sure it you- would simply be too embarrassing. Okay. Just all I want to know is if you've seen the fugitive. No. I didn't kill my wife. I haven't. Oh, that one's amazing. You got to watch that. Okay. That, I mean, like, maybe not while you're working together if it's going to make you a weirdo, but it's fucking incredible. Tommy Lee Jones? Y- you can keep pitching The Fugitive to me. I, I've mentally added it to my list. Okay. Okay. That's all I wanted to know. Um. So, yeah, what's that like? Is it intimidating? How do you, like, approach working with an actor of that magnitude? Give us some tips for people that are like, you got to go fucking, like, give notes to Harrison Ford or at least tell him he did a great job and whatever. Well, that is a, something I learned. We we have some bits. He doesn't remember the bits, probably, but I will remember them. Um, when I was on set for my episode, which was nine, he has that great scene with Wendy Malick where they're kind of making out at his house and... Uh, Jessica Williams shows up and she's hilarious in this scene. Um, And I'm sitting at the monitor watching Harrison just mac on Wendy over and over again. And he comes over to Video Village and he was like, you know, he's he's the gruff guy that you kind of think he is. And I was like, it's a good morning, huh, Harrison? And he's like, "Mm mm-hmm. And I'm like, are are we having fun? Uh And like long beat. And I'm like, you're terrific in this scene. That's what I was waiting for. Oh, can I try to do that in his voice? Sure. That's what I was waiting for. That's so scary. <laughs> it's like that's what I imagine is like a gruff <laughs> like that's what I see Richard Kimball from The Fugitive, which is some people to like to a lot of people he's Indiana Jones. Uh, who else is he famously to people? I mean, like, I know, like, that's... Han Solo? The- oh, right. Fucking Han Solo. Uh, I appreciate Star Wars, but I'm not, like, no fucking Star Wars nerd. To me, Richard Kimball is the coolest. Which Again, like, I've I, added the... I, I, can't, I don't care. I can't have seen this, The Fugitive from the last time you fucking matrix you and just upload the knowledge of the movie? Five seconds ago. Okay. Um, no, he's, he's very kind and hilarious on set, and he'll, like, josh around with you and... Were you pinching yourself? Like, do you have to, like, when you get in your car at the end of the day, are you like, I just fucking spent the day with Harrison Ford on a it's, show? I'm the whole cast. I can't course. believe I mean, I I'm know, sitting but. there. And and being on set also, again, Jason just being so, like, inclusive and, and collaborative, I pitched him a horrible, horrible potty joke alt. 
And he said, he's so kind, was like, maybe the next take. And I said, don't change anything, stick to the script, don't change a word. And he turned to me and he was like, you're doing a really good job, Sophie. And I was like, that was the nicest thing you could have said to my dumb joke. Thank you. Yeah, he did a, he just dictated the vibe on set. So you're currently writing season two right now? Yes. How's that going for you? It's going good. It's weird to actively write the show while people are watching the first season. It's hard not to sort of think about the the pressure of, of trying to deliver now on... They were just my friends before I was living with them for a year in secret, and now they're everybody's friends. So we want to do good That's a great point. The do, audience. You, do you... When, when you guys, or when I say you guys, you and the other shrinking writers, when you guys are breaking story... Do you have to cognize, like, do you have to be cognizant of the viewers and what they think? Or are you guys just pretty like, what's the fucking right story? Or like, what's the, like, is there any fan service, even though, like, they're not like crazy, uh, you know, it's not like friends where people are like, oh, let's really hope Ross and Rachel. Like, obviously, the show is in a very nascent stage. It's only in season one, it's beloved and successful. But um, do you feel like you have to, you owe it to the fans to maybe write towards whatever we think they might want? Or are you guys just so strictly on, no, we're going with our gut on like what we think this is? It's a lot of gut stuff, but it's also like, oh, we had this like little bit. Bill's really good at like doing those like little Easter eggs. It's, you know, it was in Scrubs and, and Ted Lasso. There's just all these like little details that fans really pay attention to. And I so sometimes it's like, oh, we we did the, you know, Liz has her special rocks. And so if there's a way that we can like include a little special Easter egg for fans that it feels like, we're carrying through on these things that make these characters three-dimensional. I, I think that's servicing them in a way. Is the Roxa Easter egg to something else or another role Krista has played? No, Krista just legitimately tumbles rocks. I had no clue. Oh, Bill, when we were, you know, in COVID FaceTime, he'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry for the loud noise. Krista's tumbling rocks outside my window. It's it's a, like a, a lovely little hobby that she has. How does one, the, this is so dumb, where does one find rocks to tumble just anywhere? You can just get them off like the, in the garden or in the street or do you have to, are there specific rocks like geodes? It sounds like she looks for them on the beach, but um, again, that's probably for another podcast. I don't. You I'm don't not, know about tumbling I'm not, rocks? I'm not familiar with the process. <laughs> okay. Okay. No problem. This is not a tumbling rocks. Welcome back to tumbling, talking tumbling. I'm, <laughs> this is, oh We were God. talking about you creating a whole podcast network, but I. I'm going to do that. Talking one tumbling should should come after a couple other faves. Um, so you're writing on shrinking. You're loving life. Mm-hmm. What level writer are you right now? I'm an executive story editor. That's incredible. Can we just take a moment to uh, think back to when we were hanging out and we were in Cabo and you were an assistant and I was writing Wild. a pilot and like now you're a fucking executive story editor on one of the biggest shows on television right now. I have such imposter syndrome. So do I. Great. I I hear you never grow out of it, which is a big all bummer. No. I mean, I feel like at some point, you know, like I feel like Mike White probably doesn't have imposter syndrome. Um, uh, But other than that, I just like, yeah, you know, and I've I've realized where it comes from. Uh, Some of it, at least when it comes to like when my agents call or whatever, and I'm like, I don't deserve to be talking to you. You're way too big for me. It's because I spent two and a half years as an assistant at Paramount, and I read Deadline every day. And so in some cases, in my weird warped brain, these agents and executives are as famous, if not more, in my warped brain as the celebrities and the talent and the writers. So when you get, when you, you know, uh, 
maybe if you're Ted Chervin's client or if you are uh, insert huge agent at huge agencies client and you know you're not the biggest earner on their list like I am, for example, I think to myself like, oh, they're probably looking at their watch like how long until they can get off the phone with me and get to other business and like, I, you know, their time versus work equation on me is probably not great because I'm not making millions. And so like I start to spiral about, oh, I'm like a blip on the radar of their life. When my agents call, I feel like we're all like cosplaying as adults because we're all like, oh, we should we should talk to this producer about this idea. And I'm like, can you do like it just I feel like we're all pretending to do the thing that we all sat on the sidelines, like listening other people do for such a long time. Um, and that still hasn't gone away. My, my agents are my peers. We all sort of it's cool that we all sort of came into our own and our careers at the same time. And I hope I'm excited to like hopefully grow our careers together. But it, I, I'm still pinching myself. I don't know if they are. Well, that's great to hear. Do you, was there any special reason you or uh, I guess I was going to ask you, like, do you remember getting signed? Was that a big deal to you or just sort of happened serendipitously? Um, it happened again, thanks to fashion icon Liza Katzer, <laughs> who is such a homie. And she sent my script to a friend at each of the agencies and was like, hey, we love Sophie. We've staffed her. We'll, we'll probably continue to hire her, which I guess to agents equates like dollar signs. And so I met with folks at the different agencies and um, I just like really hit it off personally with my agents, Norris and Allie. And um, they really like got the voice of my script because it speaks to them. So that's um, awesome. Yeah. Now we're buddies. And do we, do we think one day, I mean, the goal, I mean, maybe, I don't know, some people don't always think they'll sit in the captain's chair. Is your plan to be a showrunner, creator, et cetera? I guess, but I, I, I couldn't do it anytime soon. I just, I want to keep learning. I'm in a room of some of the smartest, kindest people. Everybody in the room is so therapized. It's incredible. But they're also, I sometimes, speaking of an imposter syndrome, feel like I'm doing a really bad job in the room because all these people are so smart and they just, I feel like they're seeing like a blacklight board that I can't see and they're just connecting dots that like my brain can't comprehend. Um, and I'm just so like lucky to be able to learn from these people. I, I get better every day that I sit in the room, that horrible multicam script that I was talking about after being in the head of the classroom and seeing how multicam is made, I was able to go back into the script and actually turn it into something productive. Yep. Um, and so I think it, I, I'm getting better just through osmosis. I, I don't even realize it. And these people have had such an impact. So I'm so grateful. Is there any advice you would give to uh, younger Sophie from 2016 or anybody that might be in the position you were trying to break in as a writer? Is there any last parting advice you'd like to give them? Um, don't be so nervous. I guess I would tell that to my present day self too. So much anxiety. But um, yeah, I think I, I look at all these people, like I put them all up on a pedestal. And where I am now, I would have been like, she's the tits. And so I don't know, just, I don't know, trying to do it for her. That's really nice. That's bad advice. That's not advice. Yeah, that's okay. It's just reflective. <laughs> I'm just being nostalgic about my own life. Well, listen, if you want to be nostalgic, here's what I'll wrap it up and say, okay? okay. Uh, I like to think that I have a very, uh, that I'm a good judge of character, mm. that I can spot when I meet with someone within two minutes, I can tell if you're a shysty shithead or if you're someone who's smart and sweet and kind. Not Only that those two categories? There are other categories, but like those are the, the black and white ones, okay? 
shitty and shysty mm-hmm. and a douche or like sweet, charming, kind, funny. I want to know you and cheerlead and support you. Uh, and ever since I met you, when I was getting my big uh, sales break, uh, you know, selling that that Barney's thing, you were uh, incredibly helpful and kind to me. And I'm so glad that I ran into you in Cabo um, because I know one day you are going to be someone huge. Not that you're not now. I mean, like you're right on fucking shrinking. But like one day. Who's the sycophant now? Me. Me. Why do you think I'm having you here on my podcast? I have my wife feed you. It's just like a love fest. Um, so thank you for being wonderful because you are, and I, I, you deserve all the success that you're having. Stop. I'm so uncomfortable. Thank you. That's too nice. Okay. Well, I think we'll end there on the nervousness. (laughs) Thank you for coming, Sophie. Thanks for having me. You have a great podcast. I hope a lot of people tune in. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.